Hello and welcome to The Gold Podcast. I'm Mark Koskela and I'm once again joined by my co-host and the editor of Gold, Helena Beer. How are you, Helena? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very, very well, thank you. It's been a very exciting week, hasn't it, in the office with the publication of Gold 22. So how did it go? It went really well. Yes, we've got some brilliant content out focusing on topics such as pharmacovigilance, pharma in Brazil, patient centricity, um, supporting patients in a war zone. So many things uh, for our readers and listeners to enjoy and hopefully be inspired by as well. Um, and this issue's catalyst interviewee happens to be this week's podcast guest. So we're really pleased to be introducing Klaus Zieler, who is president of Established Markets at Estellas um, later in the episode. But first, let's talk about some things you might have missed. So what's been happening in the news this week, Helena? Well, Moderna has announced its plan to bring mRNA innovation to the UK. An agreement has been made between the company and the UK government to establish an mRNA innovation and technology centre in the country expected to provide access to rapid pandemic response capabilities and Moderna's vaccine candidates. That's right. The facility is additionally intended to support the UK's global efforts in its 100-day mission to reduce the impact of potential future pandemics. The ABPI released a statement in favour of the agreement, with Chief Executive Richard Torbett highlighting that the pharmaceutical industry invests more than any other sector in R&D in the UK, and that the new mRNA Innovation and Technology Centre provides a huge boost to how we can respond to future pandemics and to UK science and research. Also in UK news, the MHRA has joined three international work-sharing partnerships, including the International Medical Device Regulatory Forum and the International Council for Harmonisation of Technical Requirements for Pharmaceuticals for Human Use. What a name that is. The aim is to improve the convergence of medicines and medical device regulation on a global scale and for MHRA to share its expertise with other leading organisations. The third partnership sees MHRA accepted as a member of the US-based Medical Devices Innovation Consortium, a public-private partnership that brings together representatives from regulatory bodies, not-for-profits, industry and patient organisations from different countries to improve processes. Dr. Glenn Wells, Chief International and Partnerships Officer at the MHRA, said that they are delighted to be focused on delivering safer, innovative and more cost-effective medicines and medical devices to the people who need them sooner. He added that the organisation is currently building a world-leading regime for regulating medicines and medical devices in the UK that prioritises patient safety while fostering innovation. And we look forward to sharing expertise with partner organisations for the benefit of patients, not just in the UK, but worldwide, he added. Now, something else that caught my eye, and if you'll pardon the upcoming pun, was the first approval in China based solely on real-world data for iPoint Pharmaceuticals and Occumentions UTIC, an implant to treat a form of eye infection. The implant was found to significantly cut the recurrence rate and disease burden for patients with chronic non-infectious uvitis, which usually occurs as a result of injury. This approval, based entirely on RWD, may pave the way for similar pharmaceutical approvals in the region, saving companies a lot of time and resources. Yes, Occumention laid the groundwork for this approval by teaming up with Boao Lecheng Super Hospital in September, where they studied UTIC's efficacy. 
Yi Liu, the company's CEO, commented that this approval marks the first ever treatment approved from Occumention's innovative pipeline and, more importantly, a critical therapeutic advancement for patients suffering from chronic, non-infectious uveitis affecting the posterior segment of the eye. The Occumention team has been working diligently to bring this potential best-in-class drug to Chinese patients as soon as possible. Moving on, as we mentioned, last week saw the latest issue of Gold being published, and it included a feature-length interview with Klaus Zieler, the president of established markets at Estellus. Today, we bring you extracts from that interview, as well as some exclusive additional clips. Gold's content and editorial assistant, Cheyenne Eugene, met with Klaus to discuss crisis management, the importance of leaders within shaping company culture, the innovation he is most excited about, and much more. Let's jump straight in. So first up, Cheyenne asked Klaus to divulge how he came to be working in the pharmaceutical industry. So let's have a listen. I mean, that's a very that's very straightforward. You know, I've, I'm trained as a molecular biologist. So the first question is, why did I get into molecular biology? And it's the fascination with um, that frontier of science, that cutting edge knowledge generation that, you know, that science is about. And I studied in the 80s. Molecular biology was a new field, you know, it came out of biochemistry and there were all these, you know, Watson and Crick had done their work on DNA, Um, the first monoclonal antibodies were being produced. It was very, very exciting. It was literally the frontier of science in, in, in the medical biological field at the time. So if you do, if you work in that field and then you decide to go into business, you ask yourself, well, what what line of business in healthcare actually has that same characteristic? So that that knowledge generation, that discovery element to it, and and that is pharma. I mean, pharma is an innovation machine. That's what it's built to do. It's it's built to to discover and generate tremendous knowledge on efficacy, safety, absorption, ways of working how to take it, how to treat better. And it marries with one other driver that, um, that I always had is, and that is to help patients, you know, because we, we will all be patients one day. Yeah? And when we are patients or when one of your family is a patient or one of your loved ones, you want the very best treatment. And who, who's going to invent that? best treatment, right? It's it's the pharma industry. Uh, the pharma industry with the best researchers in the world, the best developers, the regulatory, the, the, the pricing, the marketing, all the communication to the healthcare professional that puts the innovative treatment into the hand of someone who can actually help a patient. It's clear that Klaus's fascination with the science behind treatments has perfectly coincided with his love for business and entrepreneurship to keep him motivated during his extensive and varied career. Next up, Klaus shared the story of when he found himself dealing with the repercussions of a public health crisis years before the COVID-19 pandemic, and he talked about what it taught him about crisis management. Well, first I would say that the pandemic was not my first crisis in my in my professional life, and and there, I think there are some principles that you can where where there are similarities across crises. 
I mean, the, the first major crisis I was subject or what I was part of, if you want, um, was when I was a sales and marketing uh, director in in Brazil in 1998. And we were the company that marketed the number one brand contraceptive in the country. We had essentially a major part of um, women on contraceptives in Brazil using our brand. And the crisis was that we were now for, for different reasons out of stocks for six months. What happens when uh, women on a contraceptive discover that the pharmacy is out of stock? And you can imagine what doctors uh, do. I mean, our telephones were, were running red hot at that point. And, and, and it taught me the importance of two things, putting together a core group of people to solve the problem and to address that problem thoroughly but quickly. And as I said, it took us six months to solve it. So sometimes quickly is not quite as quick as, as you desire. The second thing I learned very importantly is you have to communicate, you have to communicate, and you have to communicate. And that is true externally to the customer base, um, be it uh, you know healthcare professionals or be it in this particular crisis, the, the women taking our product, but also internally. Um, because you have to give both the external stakeholders and the internal stakeholders the confidence that you have recognized the problem, that you are pulling together all the resources necessary to do, address the problem as quickly as you possibly can. But you also want to give them a sense of the nature of the problem and the difficulty of getting to a solution because it may not be around the corner the day after tomorrow, right? The more you communicate that, the more you can build on the trust that I think we as a, an industry and we as a management team usually have with both external and internal stakeholders. And you can then use that basis of trust that you've built over many, many years with that communication, you can actually leverage that trust and, and bring your stakeholders along that journey throughout the crisis. Give them that clarity of what you know and what you don't know, what you can solve and what you cannot solve immediately. Yeah. But give them that faith that, you know, we have a relationship of trust that we have built before the crisis. With the communication, you can take that and help you tide over the crisis until you have the solution in place, yeah? But it's important to realize that you cannot build the trust during the crisis. You have to have had that basis of trust with your stakeholders beforehand. And then the communication will help you as a, as a, a, a very important element in the crisis itself. Next, Cheyenne asked Klaus for his advice on building a company culture that retains employees and the role of leaders within that. Well, you know, the, the, there's a, an old management saying that people join because of the company and they leave because of the manager, right? So um, the, the, the cultural impact that a leader has on its organization cannot be underestimated. It really cannot be underestimated. And I think... In, in today's day and age, employees are more and more looking for uh, authentic leaders, you know, leaders who walk the talk, leaders who are true to their principles, not just glossy brochures and nice sayings, but 
you know, someone who who puts forward the purpose and puts forward expectations and then is also seen as as rolling up uh, his or her sleeves and and contributing to that. And I think that goes a long, long way in making the purpose and the expectation sets that leadership sets a credible proposition to employees and making them buy into that proposition and contribute to that proposition yeah and in the end you know talented people in my experience want to contribute that's they don't want to be sitting in a corner wasting their talent they they want to contribute something they want to add value to something so that's how it all ties together where you say do i have the purpose statement do i have the expectations that are clear have i trained people correctly but am i also walking the talk that make it something that is lived rather than something that's just on paper yeah you know employees look for that and and employees enjoy that when i take off my jacket in in a town hall meeting and i pull up my chair in the middle of the room rather than on stage and I say well just fire the questions and let's discuss yeah people enjoy that they enjoy that tremendously because they feel okay this is real life yeah this is not the PowerPoint presentation that's talking. Klaus then went on to explain how company culture spills over externally and the power that can have on attracting new talent. Well, you know, people talk. It, pharmaceutical is not that large an industry. Yeah? Um, I mean, we're not automotive with hundreds and thousands of employees all over the globe. Yeah, And these are highly qualified employees. These are highly qualified graduates who think about which company they join. Yeah? And they talk to their colleagues about the corporate culture. And I think in terms of creating that internal environment, it actually spills over, spills over and, you know, whether it's on websites or whether it's on chats or whether it's just people in their own network. I get many people joining Astellas because they knew someone at Astellas and they were convinced that this is the right culture to be working in. And so I think the internal sort of spills over into the external. And of course, there's some other things we can do. We can put out the right communication and we can use the right channels and and so forth but back to that authenticity if we if we do not put out you know a a proposition externally that is consistent with what we live internally we'll lose people as fast as we attract them if we get that consistency right not only will we attract them but we'll have uh, champions talking about how to attract the next wave. And that's a little bit what I like to think of uh, as what we are doing. Moving on, Cheyenne and Klaus discuss which innovation he sees making the biggest waves in life sciences in the near future. Here's what he had to say. The technology that I really think is on the cusp of a breakthrough are the gene and the cell therapies. And why is that? Because I think for the first time, um, we have a technology with potential cures of disease. Yeah? I mean, imagine, imagine you have an ophthalmological um, condition, and I told you Astellas is working on a cell therapy, which 
you know, if if everything goes well, um, by implanting certain cells, we can restore your condition. Yeah? Of course, this is still under investigation, and and we don't know all of that. But um, imagine that proposition coming true in the future. Yeah. Which patient would not say, I want my eyesight potentially being restored? Yeah. Uh, or which, which disease, uh, usually rare conditions with a gene deficiency, which patient would not be interested in a treatment that restores that genetic defect yeah, and potentially then um, corrects the, the mechanisms in the body that, that are causing the, the disease? So that is so powerful yeah, because we have potentially curative approaches. Um, but on the other hand, we need to innovate not only from a technological development point of view, we will have to also innovate as a healthcare environment. Because all of a sudden, I will go, be going to a payer, you know, be it a government or a private payer, and say, you know, actually, you don't, you're not going to pay for a pack a month that the patient buys at the pharmacy. You're going to pay for one infusion, one cell transplantation, and if it's successful, well, that's it. But you're going to have to pay me an amount of money that compensates me for all the R&D that went into it. Because I can't reap a benefit from, you know, uh, 10 years of insulin injections, right? That, 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 it's a completely different model. So the whole healthcare environment, not only the industry, also the payer environment, the, the, the doctor environment will have to adapt to these different technologies coming to the market. Yeah, So that's the biggest wave of innovation that I see literally on the verge of, I mean, some treatments are already on the market, but that is the, one of the main innovative areas that I see coming towards us in the, in the next 10 years. Yeah. Cell and gene technology is edging ever closer, and I think many will share Klaus's excitement there. It'll be really interesting to watch the pricing system around that unfold, as Klaus briefly mentioned. Finally, Cheyenne asked Klaus to draw on his years of experience within the industry and pinpoint how and where the priority of businesses has changed since he first started out. I would give you three answers to that. I mean, three major changes that I've observed in the 30 plus years that I've been in this industry. And the one, of course, has to do, not surprisingly, with, with science and technology. I mean, if you look at this industry, uh, when I was at university, pharma was about small molecules in the 80s and even in the 90s. Yeah? So you had chemists uh, synthesizing small molecules, and then you had high-throughput screening, selecting these molecules that bind to some receptor and they do something in the body. Yeah? Look at the industry today. We have monoclonal antibodies. Yeah, we have proteins. Yeah? We can inject human insulin into a human body, and it's exactly the same thing as the body produces. So that, that uh, and then now we're going, uh, in the next wave, we're going into gene therapies and cell therapies, and then I'll talk more later uh, on that. But so technology has driven a change in, in, in this industry where all of a sudden 
um, the, the things we invent, the knowledge we generate, the things we explain to regulators and to healthcare professionals, completely different from what they were 20 uh, or 30 years ago. It's much more complex than what was 20 or 30 years ago. So technology changing is one big change. The other thing I would say to you is our panel of customers has changed. You know, when I was a sales rep, we essentially focused on the prescribing physician as our main customer. And of course, that's still true today. Uh, with maybe 30 years ago, we also had a major interaction with the regulators that approved our medicines. Yeah, that was always the case. But today, we not only speak to regulators, we not only speak to prescribing physicians, we also have pricing agencies and pricing mechanisms, and we need to convince sometimes government, sometimes private payers, not only of the efficacy and safety of our medicines, but also the cost effectiveness of our medicines. So that has changed. All of a sudden, we are, we, we are speaking to patient organizations because patients have a different role today. They go online, they Google their disease, they want to be educated as to treatment options. They start talking to their physician in a much more prepared way than was the case before. So all of a sudden, patient organizations are re reaching out to us and saying, can we have a dialogue on what you are developing and how, how perhaps you should be doing something in disease areas which have not been addressed previously. So the breadth of the customer groups that we mm -hmm. talk to has expanded from where it was 20 or 30 years ago. And then the last thing, of course, uh, again, is fairly obvious. Um, the way we interact with customers has changed. You know, when I was a rep, there, there was no smartphone. You know, if I didn't knock at the door and wasn't let in, there was no way to, to talk to the customer. Yeah, I mean, I could have made a phone call, but um, it would have been fairly cumbersome. And today, a doctor can interact with us as an industry, either in person at a Congress or in person at a, uh, through a, a, a sales representative or a representative of the medical affairs department. But you can also attend a webinar. He can yeah. attend a virtual congress. Um, he can be online with uh, medical or sales professionals from, from our industry. You know, uh, he can go on our website. He can go on medical um, societies' websites. The, the, the channel choice has uh, exploded. Um, so those are the three major changes that I would see. Um, technology, what we do is different the breadth of customers we talk to is different and the channels through which we interact with these customers is, is broader than before and that's all for this week's episode great to hear from our fantastic catalyst interviewee klaus Seeler. head over to our website to access the full interview as well as a whole host of other brilliant features such as pharma in brazil and supporting patients in a war zone we'll also link those in the show notes you won't want to miss them indeed i would definitely recommend you visit the site to take a look now if you haven't done so already please do either rate or subscribe to the podcast it really really helps Anyway, we will be back with you next week for another episode of the podcast. But until then, take care and goodbye for now. See you soon.